Date with a Debut is a Words and Nerds and Breathe Art podcast co-production, recorded on a Wagbacool country. And I pay my respects to all elders past and present, and extend that to any First Nations people tuning in. Always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. On with the show. In any of these kind of public spaces or any time that we use somebody else's story, they're, they're, they're for entertainment or their stumble, their downfall, their worst moment, I think we have some questions we should be asking ourselves as, as audience members. Hello, I am Nick Massilia, former host of Tell Me What to Read, author of When Men Cry, and I'm continuing this fantastic series with Words and Nerds, shining a light on debut novelists and their journey to publication. If you're looking for a new book to devour, a new author to discover, this is the place to be. If you're looking for writing inspiration, this is the place to be. This is Date with a Debut, because nothing hits you like a first impression. And I'll put a small disclaimer, I am currently in the midst of fighting off a cold, which is sequentially taking my voice um, as it goes along. So we will power through this uh, this review. But I am so excited because I am joined by Naima Brown. Uh, she has spent over a decade working in news, current affairs and documentaries. Plus, she had a stint in reality TV, which is the inspiration for her debut novel, The Shot, which is published by Pam McMillan, out in May. Naima, welcome. Hello, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. And in typical date fashion, your story is amazing, by the way. I love that you're, like, the, the journey that you've had to get to where you are now. Tell us tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to start your writing journey. Oh, well, I would say that, you know, I, I have um, locked away in a safe so no one can get to them lots of old notebooks and journals full of very earnest short stories and poetry, you know, dating all the way back to the kind of braces days. Um, so I've always, I've always written. Um, I've always been a big reader. Uh, you know, over the years, whilst I was doing my quote unquote real job, I would find time here and there to um, get the occasional short story published or things like that. But, you know, I'd always, I think, had um, as as many people do, I think as many women do, a a sense of who am I to write a book? You know, who am I to write a novel? Oh, yes. And um, and so I kind of kept myself small, even in format, even you know, in terms of the short story, felt like something I could back myself with. And, and I suppose to that point, the shot was inspired by yes, as you mentioned, a very brief stint um, working on the Bachelor Bachelorette, and I had that real moment of, you know, the muse is landing on your shoulder and saying, there is something <laughs> here uh, worth exploring in, in longer form than just the short story format. And so the, I suppose, scaffolding before the shot was born. And that took me about seven years because that was seven years of going, do I have something here? Is this worth my time? Do I have the time? And, you know, months, sometimes a year would go by before I'd, uh, you know, had to kind of pick it up and dust it off and have a second glance. And so it took me a while to, um, I guess, to task myself with completing it mm. and then to be able to step back away from it long enough to think, um, this is a story and more more widely, I suppose, a conversation that I am really excited about having and a book I want out in the world so that I can talk about the themes and the ideas that I hope it really sparks. I, I'm not surprised that it took you this long because the shot has a lot to say. Um, there is a lot to digest and unpack. 
Stop the podcast! Stop the podcast! Hello, it is Nick Wasiliev here, host of Date with a Debut, and I just wanted to reach out and say thank you to all of our incredible listeners on the Words and Nerds platform who have been listening to the podcast and sending messages of support. It has been absolutely humbling to hear from fellow authors, fellow readers, fellow writers, and fellow podcast listeners about the show. And it is a real privilege to turn you guys on to many exciting new and upcoming authors. The reason why I'm reaching out here is because one of the groups I've heard the most from is a lot of aspiring writers who have been wanting to learn more about the actual process of getting your book into publication. How do you complete a manuscript? How do you find a publisher? How do you complete the editing process? And how do you get that book printed and into stores? Of course, we cannot fully cover it in an episode of the podcast every single week, but I have another podcast that I dropped in 2021 called A Little Idea. This podcast essentially covers my entire process that I went with my debut novel, When Men Cry, from writing to publication to promotion. Over the course of this five-part mini-series, I sit down with some of the biggest names in the Australian publishing scene to cover this entire process front to back. And the best part, this entire series is completely free and available to listen wherever you get any of your podcasts. Please enjoy this brief snippet from episode three of A Little Idea, where I chat with my editor, Sylvia Balog, around misconceptions that people have around editors and the value that they can bring to your manuscript. To me, every world is exciting. You know, it's just really, and I'm not a writer, so, you know, to to see people come up with these, these creative worlds, it just always blows me away. So I get very, very enthused about it. <laughs> How do you kind of work your way through those kind of misconceptions that people might have towards editors in your Okay, sure. Um, I mean, I think... Um, oh, that's like a really loaded question. No, no, <laughs> not at all, not at all. I, I think probably some of the... Some, some people may think that they don't need an editor at all. Some people think that an editor is actually like a, a proofreader, which they are in some ways, but proofreading is another sort of profession itself. Um, where that they just expect the editor to maybe correct spelling and things like that. But what an editor really does is that, like you said, they're there to, and like I mentioned, they're there to hone that manuscript to, to get the absolute best out of the author in that work. To hear more, head to the links in the description or head to my website, nickwasiliev.com and check out my podcast, A Little Idea, and start your own writing journey. All right, back to Date with a Debut. Give us your one minute pitch for the shot. What is it about? My one minute pitch. So the shot is, I think, best described as the Hunger Games meets The Bachelor um, in the sense that it is based on a reality television show that offers its primary contestant, who is a, a, a jilted lover, a woman who's pining over the one that got away, um, an opportunity to re- instill herself into his life through what's called total body transformation. So a kind of head to toe, um, every possible plastic surgery, every possible um, alteration that could be made to a body is um, so that she can take on a new persona and a new identity um, through which to try to um, re-woo 
is that a word? Rewoo? To rewoo. It is now. Um, <laughs> yes, rewoo, her lost bow. Um, so that's that's the vehicle. That's the um I I what I do hope is the entertaining um kind of boat that we all get in, strap ourselves in and go, you know, ride along the river. And along that ride in the river, I am really very interested in dissecting, discussing why it is that we find this entertaining, where that line between exploitation and entertainment is. Um, you know, why do we as a as a species have a bit of a proclivity towards ritual humiliation? You know, even within <laughs> something like The Bachelor, um, we watch it to see people lose as much as we watch to see someone win, right? And what what is that all about? So mm. um, yeah, I think that was a little more than one minute. But that it would counts. be that's a long elevator ride. That's when I stood in front of the button and wouldn't let someone out, you know. <laughs> we pressed every button on the lift to go up, which is uh, exactly. which is fine. Uh, yeah. You nail it in describing The Hunger Games meets The Bachelor. That's like, I think that's the best possible, like, two-second way to to, pin, to put a pin in it. Because after reading it, yes, yes, it absolutely is. It is absolutely The Hunger Games meets The Bachelor. And let's let's talk about this particular topic of where reality TV sits in a little bit more before we dive into the characters. Because I think a lot of people look at reality TV, and maybe this is my own experience, or people who I know who watch reality TV, they look at it as something to gawk at. It's something to examine, analyze, maybe even make themselves feel better uh, a little bit about themselves. Uh, And when I first picked up the book and read the concept, I thought at first I thought I was the worst possible person to read this because I am not a fan of these kinds of shows for a lot of the reasons that we kind of dive into like the exploitative nature of it some of it sometimes but yet but but yet uh it then leaned into a guilty pleasure i have as the story progressed which is kind of a messed up black comedy kind of worst case doomsday scenario with one of these sort of shows if that's the best way to describe it because it involves complete transformation of your identity that christy has to go through in this book you don't shy away from the moral questions this form of entertainment asks. Seeing as you worked on these shows, like what were you trying to, what was the points you wanted to address with this book? Mm. And I feel like that's a really dense question, but I have to ask. Yeah, well, no, there's so much in there. And I've tried to make a lot of little, you know, little post-it notes in my brain. Um, I firstly just want to say um, the book, the copy that you would have had, which is the uncorrected proof, doesn't have what the uh, readers who get the book in its full published glory will have, which is on the rights page. You know, that page that only real book nerds probably like yourself, (laughs) myself, and and a lot of your listeners um, who actually read that page. So on that page in the final piece, is a statement from myself that says, this is a work of fiction. Uh, The author implores any would-be producer not to use this as a how-to manual to create a show like The Shot. And I mentioned that to say, um, you know, certainly being a fan of reality television or even, you know, having watched it in passing is not a um, requirement for, I hope, for enjoying this book or getting something from this book. Um, I think that we could look at some of the themes that you brought up 
um, in in other arenas of our lives. So I think in true crime, in social media, um, in any of these kind of public spaces or any time that we use somebody else's story, their, 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 their biographical details uh, for entertainment or mm. their stumble, their downfall, their worst moment um, for entertainment. I think we have some questions we should be asking ourselves as, as audience members. And I certainly don't want to come across as a killjoy or judgy. I'm not sneering at or looking down my nose at reality television at all. Uh, I think it's, 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 if I had a, um, an ulterior motive beyond just hopefully giving you a rollicking ride with a great story is that you just ask yourself when you find yourself watching these shows and, um, someone is clearly in pain or is struggling or is suffering in some way um, why we're watching. And I, and I don't think that it's necessarily always coming from some sort of malicious place. Mm. I think we're kind of hardwired as a species to be really interested in, in each other's lives. Um, you know, I think it probably goes back a long ways that you wanted to peek in the neighbor's cave and see, you know, what they had going on and i think that there's something um deeply human in our curiosity about each other but where yeah. that line is i think is is getting quite blurry and something worth thinking about i love it the comparison game. I don't know it's if like, I answered your question. no you did you <laughs> yeah. did it's it, i mean because it's it was a dense question it required a dense answer um and i you you, you covered it really really well with this with this topic and this discussion and I, I love that it's like a, it's an exact interesting exercise and examination of comparison and I love that you also compare it to like true crime because I mean how many people are so interested in the world of actual crimes and actual uh, evil deeds being committed against one another and that it actually can come from quite a similar place of just comparison and wanting to know but also there's another thing which talks about, and we'll now dive into these characters that you've crafted. And there's two, the two particular what people that I want to shout at. Um, that is when where is the line in terms of where is this okay for me to to watch or not watch? Where is the line between entertainment and exploitation? Let's talk about Christy Shaw. Oh, Christy. Yeah. Oh, oh no. She's <laughs> she's lovesick. She's desperate to win back the love of Max, and she finds herself going down honestly a, a very dark path in her own body transformation as she's put into this uh, exercise that this show does. And I found it it was just the the dichotomy of trying to find acceptance through completely rejecting who she is as a person, self rejection. Um, mm. that the only way that Max can love her is if she completely rejects everything that who she is, about who she is, and tries to be somebody else. How on earth did this character happen? <laughs> How? Oh, well, I mean, I think, I think that, um, and I don't want to jump ahead and, you know, rope in talking about a second character at the same time, uh, which is Mara, um, our um are a producer and kind of mistress of ceremonies. But I, I feel like I can't answer your question about Christy without um, saying that I, I see these two women as kind of two sides of the same coin. I think we have a little mm -hmm. bit of Christy in all of us, a little bit of Mara in all of us. I think for Christy, 
Um, yes, I mean, as you said, uh, I, I think she's somebody who has internalized a lot of trauma. Um, I think she's somebody who has a lot of suppressed rage, and maybe some of that is quite sacred rage and justified rage. Uh, mm. She's somebody who's been under the thumb of classism, under the thumb of socioeconomic uh, structures, um, who feels that she's been left behind by the education system, um, undervalued, that her potential was never witnessed, observed, cultivated, and championed by any anyone around her. Um, and so she's right for that power dynamic that exists between Mara and herself or between a production crew and the talent, right? These power dynamics, boss and employee, um, president and intern, right? Yes. Like whenever mm. you have these power dynamics, I think it's because something in one recognizes something in the other. And they come together uh, for a reason. And and um, yeah, I think that Mara saw in Christy somebody who was hungry for, um, just hungry to be witnessed yeah. and for a bit of shepherding. And so that came in the form of an opportunity uh, to, to yes, to to do some pretty gruesome things to herself in the name of in the name of love. But I think in the end we see that love was not really always her sole motivating factor. Mm, yes, that's right. And uh, again, let's bring in Mara, uh, Mara Bolt, because um, yes, there is there is a lot of similarities to to these two women. But I also just love that she is uncompromising. She and and on the topic of president and intern, uh, like you often try to do a visualization, and she almost reminded me of Meryl Streep in Don't Look Up. Sometimes, uh, yeah. <laughs> some yeah. like someone strong, confident in what they do, but sometimes, considering what the topic of the shot is about, someone with their priorities and moral compass completely all over the place in some instances. Mm-hmm. Almost to the point where I loved that there was a particular line near the end of the book that uh, will not spoil it for in terms of anything, but there was the line of just "fuck it, it's great TV," and I just was like, "There she is, there yeah. she is, right there." Um, yes, such an interesting Very character. Interesting. Yes, yeah. I mean, like, can I turn the tables on you and ask only because I, I'm picking up on it, and it wouldn't be the first time that. Um, someone, uh, uh, you know, an early reader has expressed to me their misgivings around Christy or their frustrations around Christy and how much they like Mara. And what I find so interesting about that is, is, I mean, there's a subversiveness in that in a way, because Mara is patently not a good or well person um, no. in many ways. No. And she, you know, she is the antihero, right? But I thought I find we get behind her almost in a kind of Tony Soprano way where you just want this person to win um, despite the cost of their winning. Yes. Um, and maybe it is because we admire that, um, that, that real confidence or that real conviction. Um, I, you know, people who say, fuck it, it's great TV, whatever that might be in their lives. We, we appreciate that kind of... Um, moxie I guess but mm. um yeah Mara um was a joy to write it's 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 probably more fun to write people who are really in touch with their dark sides um 
than it is to write somebody who's a bit more clean and tidy internally, right? Um, yeah, Mara has a lot going on. But again, I think, you know, and when we we see this unfold throughout the book, you know, Mara, Mara's trauma, the trauma in Mara sees the trauma in Christy, right? Uh, these are mm. these are two women with a lot of untreated wounds. One of them just ends up having a lot more power over the other. Yes, exactly. I love that you turn this uh, turn this a little bit because it is that is what it is. It's the confidence that Mara has. It's infectious on the page, and also maybe because I think Christy is making choices that I think a lot of us would take a step back from and question and wonder if this is the right way to go about achieving her goals and objectives. And of course, again, it, it does tie back into that trauma that these this trauma that these two women have and and the and also the key drivers love is not necessarily the key driver uh that we find out but maybe it's also because we're just maybe it comes from a place of what we want to achieve with entertainment very much similarly to what we do with reality tv um mm -hmm. we had expectations and ideas around what this would deliver and interestingly enough as they make choices that are questionable to the reader it becomes more interesting, more more tough to dissect if you are a reader. So it's a great it's a great turn on it. It's a this is why I love this. It's a great book. There's just it, I love the scenario. I love the scenario and the characters you put in here. It's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I won't I won't. It's like I'm high fiving myself um, in a, in a in an annoying way. But I will say that these are characters that have stuck with me. I think about them a lot. Um, you know, I think, uh, and this is not some sort of uh, nuanced tease, there's nothing in the works, but I, I do wonder what their lives might go on to look like uh, beyond this encounter and this experience with each other. Um, yes, they are both two women who who fascinate me. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, three women, really. Yes. Yes. yes, true, <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Let's, I, I, I know we have to move on, but I want to kind of finish with a, a one final question, which may be too big okay. of a question to ask. So pull okay. me up if it is the case, because okay. again, like there are a lot of comparisons you can draw to this thing. Like obviously Truman Show would come to mind um, immediately around that line of entertainment and exploitation. Black Mirror also feels is another one that I always like to. And the ending of this book Left a, and I'm not going to, we're going to stay spoiler free, um, but I will say that the ending of this book really left an impression on me. Um, where is the line in these shows, in your eyes, between entertainment mm. and exploitation? Where where does that sit now? I mean, I think that, and again, this is a heavily caveated answer in that I'm, I'm not a, um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not someone who sits around looking at stats uh, and data around viewership or, um, you know, reading uh, any sort of, um, I suppose, real studies on the effects of, of these kinds of shows, not only on viewers, but on the people who participate in them. So this is just my own observation, things I've gleaned from, um, you know, living in the world that we live in. And I would say that the that the line is being renegotiated and re-evaluated kind of in real time. I think we're living through a really interesting time in the media space writ large. There's not a part of that spectrum of content from what we would like to consider maybe hard news 
pure journalism, whatever that is today, you know, <laughs> all the way to the most um, obvious uh, fiction, whether that's in a novel or in a film or on our television. And I think that because we have more options at our fingertips than we've ever had before um, because there is this sense of needing to feed the 24-hour entertainment machine. Mm. Um, I and and I think because and again I, and I know what you're you're referencing in the end of the book and I won't spoil it as well but because once you find something that's shocking on a Monday if it works what's going to be shocking come Wednesday yeah. needs to be leveled up right and so I think that we don't I don't think we know where that line is I mean there have been people who have participated in reality television shows um who have come out the other side speaking quite vocally about the psychological harm that they experience there have been people that have spoken out about the way particular true crime documentary might be produced to um elicit a kind of ambulance chasing response favoring the the murderer above the memory of the victims for example you know we have these conversations about where that line between entertainment and exploitation should be but i don't think that we've landed on an answer um i think for me as somebody who you know from time to time does find myself um engaged with some of this content I just try to ask myself how it's making me feel in my body, in my mm. mind. You know, is this is this icky? Yeah. Am I feeling gross? You know, um, what am I really getting from this? When I'm done watching this or reading this or listening to this, um, am I coming out the other side better for it? And if it's if it is just pure entertainment, if I am just watching this because I'm lying on the couch and I, I want to be entertained and I want something um, simple and and light, I suppose, is what a lot of people come to these things for, you know, that don't ask you to think very hard. There's not necessarily anything wrong with that. I think we just have to be clear about what we're doing. I want to ask you about your journey to publication. Um, if mm. I can, because we are talking about debut books and uh, particularly with this subject matter and this and how the word juicy it is, that how much you can dissect from it. Um, yeah. What was that like? What was it like bringing this story to reality? Uh, uh, incredible. Um, I, I, you know, I mentioned that it took me seven years to write and, and the reasons why, but I don't uh, lament that. And I think that, you know, I, I, for this book in particular for the subject matter that I am tackling in this book, the time that it took only served this story. Um, these, you know, the, the world of reality television, everything you and I have just discussed, these things have only just ratcheted up. Um, you know, in the final year of writing, we were thinking about something like Squid Game, for example, and, you know, mm. really grappling with uh, what, what a, a show like that is meant to teach us or what we're meant to receive as audiences from a show like that and how we feel about it, right? So being able to think about all of those things, bring in some of those conversations from the ether into my manuscript, I don't regret that time. Um, however, from, from a publication journey point of view, it, it was like, you know, slow, 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 and then boom. Um, yes, so I, COVID, 
I tasked myself with using this time that I suddenly found myself with um, to finally finish this bleeping novel. And, and so I did. And I happened to finish it um, outside of the uh, submission window for my incredible, who you know, did end up becoming my incredible literary agency, Curtis Brown. Um, and so I did that thing where I went, you know, cause I, I did, I did know, um, and not everybody follows this pathway, but for me, I, I did feel that it was important to go through an agency and not straight to a publisher. And, um, and so I, I, I went to Curtis Brown, filled out my little form, chucked in my attachment and immediately got back the email saying, you know, your, your email has disappeared into the abyss because it's outside of, you know, the, our, our publication months come back in a few months. And I just kind of let it go in a way. I had other projects going on and I just kind of thought, okay, I'll come back to this a little bit later. I'll revisit it later and tried to have a bit of, you know, my own form, a very anxious Buddhist non-attachment, right? Um, which I'm not great at, but I tried. And then a week a week or so later, I heard back from um, my incredible agent, Pippa Massin, um, saying that it it somehow slipped through the cracks, right? Even though it wasn't supposed to, it it did. It landed on her desk. She read it. Um, she had an incredibly positive reaction to it. Um, and within a couple of weeks, we were having conversations uh, with a few different publishing houses. And it was the team at Macmillan who I felt really creatively aligned with and could see the collaborative um, process working really well with. So it was a it was a really easy yes um, to move forward with them. And then it all just unfolded from there. I love it. And on that topic of collaboration, there's one particular thing I want to ask about that yeah. process. And that was how this book came together in editing. I imagine it would have gone through many iterations, many forms. Um, and I always love when an editor gets involved. What was the editing and final crafting of this space like once the the Macmillan team got in there and was like, let's let's really hash this out. Um, it was so fun, really. I have to say, it was just a, a delight. I had some, you know, like the the classic, um, you know, forest through the trees. Uh, I don't think it's a spoiler, and if it is, you just tell me and we can backtrack. But um, <laughs> when, uh when Christy does decide to move forward with the proposal to participate in the shot and she undergoes her um, process in order to take on a new identity, that new identity's name is, is Imogen and Imogen really takes on a life of her own and how to write these two women, these two characters um, who inhabit the same body, but, well, not really the same body, mm. but inhabit the same kind of, I guess, coordinates on the planet, um, was challenging from even just a structural, grammatical uh, clarity point of view. And so having the brilliant brains over at, at Macmillan helped me just kind of sort through and comb through some of those tangles um, so that we could really play in that mm. space, which is a really fun and unusual um, kind of space to write was was incredible. And I think mm. anytime you have, in any creative space, anytime you have other people's brilliance um, attuned to your work and your objective, 
is nothing short of a gift. Absolutely. Yeah. And it comes through in this because I feel like that this would have been really fun to edit and craft and put together. I want to ask, lastly, what is, what's next for you? What's, will you write again? Please tell me yes. Please tell me yes. Yes, yes. No, I do. I have, I have a, a second book coming out with Macmillan in 2024. Um, we, I, I won't say too much more about it at the moment. I will say that it's, it's nothing to do with the shot. Um, although, you know, as I mentioned, I'd love to see the characters in the shot uh, go on to live more life um in in book form someday perhaps but no second book 2024 uh very different topic what what would unite them i suppose would be my utter addiction and fascination to uh very messy messy women whose lives unspool um to a to a very um unsustainable kind of brink uh and then attempt to try to reel it all back in so that that would be that, that would be where these books are on the same continuum. We'll finish off with some yeah. very quick rapid fire questions. No oh pressure. gosh, as you've seen, I'm really great at short, brief answers. That's totally <laughs> well, don't worry. You, you, uh, you, I know that you, I know that with these ones, you'll be like, oh, I got this. Bam. Okay. What's your favorite book that you have read in the last 12 months? Favorite book that I have read in the last 12 months, The Overstory, Richard Powers. Oh, I haven't read that one, but I but I feel like I must now. Yeah, Do you have a favorite me. word? Oh, favorite word. I don't. I have a long list of favorite words. Um, oh, my goodness. That's a hard one. Is there a theme that comes out in your list of favorite words? I want to know, like, I'm curious. Marshmallow is a word that makes me really happy. Does that mm, count? That counts. Yeah. That's a good word. Yeah. That's a nice it's word. It's hard to say marshmallow with a scowl on your face. It has, you have to soften yes. to say the word. Yeah. You do. I might, I might use that next time. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah your safe word. Your emotional safe word. Marshmallow. Emotional, yeah. Emotional safe word. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Where is your favorite place to read? In bed, on the couch, or out the back in the shade on a sunny afternoon? Oh, see, I like probably quite a lot of readers read very differently and I read different things in different spaces. So I read in all of those places that you mentioned and some others as well, um, but bed is the best because I think bed is where we're telling our brains that we're getting close to dreaming, we're getting close to kind of turning off that rational thinking. And I think we get into a different headspace where we can really be just transported along into a story, you know, Love bedtime it. story it's been around mm -hmm. forever. Indeed it is. Love that one. Do you have a favorite trope? Is there a trope you go to? Oh, I, well, I think I might've just mentioned it. Yes. I do have a, um, a, a trope slash, I think becoming a, a genre, uh, it, which is the messy women, you know, women whose lives have just gotten a little bit out of hand um, or maybe they've just, you know, pulled the pin and thrown a grenade at their own life for whatever reason. Um, I can't get enough of the stories of, of messy, complicated women. I love it. Great. Absolutely it great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then our last question. You yes. hop into a lift and your okay. hero is in there. Who is it? Margaret Atwood. Oh, yes. That was yes. pretty easy. Oh, for so yes. many reasons. 
for so many that's the best answer I've had I reckon that's the best answer I've had yes please and every year that she you know continues to write um you know as as she journeys into her older years um it's such a gift as as a woman aging in the world uh to see another woman hold her space use her voice and her pen uh so beautifully and consistently and can and and always you can read that she continues to challenge herself and ask mm. more of herself as a writer well into her 80s is um yes she's magnificent woman. she is magnificent long i hope we get many more amazing books out of her i could honestly chat to you all day i really could particularly also I diving thought. into the, the <laughs> themes of this book but unfortunately We've run out of time. For our listeners, The Shot is published by Pam McMillan. And if you like the show, drop Words and Nerds a review. Let us know what you think and who you'd like to hear from. I'll just finish off by saying, Nina, thank you so much. It's been great having you on. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for reading. <laughs>